morning, would you just find somebody right next to you as you're sitting there? Just give them a nice Access Church fist bump. Uh, that'll keep the germs from spreading. All right, amen. Uh, go ahead and just give them that fist bump. All right, as they're doing that, uh, let me just encourage you. If uh, Hopefully you got my email about community groups this week. Uh, if you didn't and you're not on our email list, please let us know. We would love to get you on our email list and especially love to get you connected. And so if you are not in a community group, I want to encourage you to get involved in a community group. And uh, they're all just kicking off right now. And so uh, this is a good time to do that. In fact, as kind of a personal plug, we're having a little gathering at my house today. So anybody who wants to kind of join up for that, that's at 5 and, uh, and we'll encourage you to, to be a part of a group uh, across the board. Uh, today, we are starting a new series for five weeks called Till the End of Time. And we're going to be dealing with a subject that applies to every single person in this room, every single person in our community. And we're going to be asking some, some kind of deep questions. We're going to be using a lot of scripture. I'd really encourage you to bring a notebook along with you or take notes out on your phone or what have you because there is going to be a lot of scripture. We're just going to see what does the Bible say about some, some deep topics and some important topics. And the questions we're going to be asking this week, we're going to do uh, what happens when you die. Next week, what, happened, what will happen at the second coming of Jesus. And then we're going to talk about what about heaven. Tell us a little bit about heaven. And the next week after that, the fourth week, uh, we're going to learn about hell. What does the Bible say about hell? And then finally, the last week, the fifth week, we're going to do an overview of the book of Revelation in 30 minutes or less, all right? And uh, so it's going to be kind of a challenge to tackle that, but a lot of people have questions about the book of Revelation, and we're going to hit it from a high level, and I hope that it's going to bring you uh, really good kind of concepts about what Revelation is all about and what it's not about. I think that there's some misunderstanding about the book of Revelation as well. But today, we're going to tackle that question that so many people have, which is, what happens when we die? When Christians die, are they simply sleeping in the grave, or do they immediately go to heaven? What is the resurrection body like? What's the difference between the soul and the spirit, or is there one? If God is love and love keeps no record of wrongs, will we have to face a day of judgment for what we have done wrong in our life? Simplified, the best way to answer all this is just to ask that question, what's going to happen when we die? Now, here are some stats on death. First of all, one out of one die. Secondly, three people die every second, 180 every minute, 11,000 every hour, uh, 250,000 die every day. No wonder we have this question. All of us in somewhere in our mind have asked, what's going to happen when, our, when we die? But it's not just a theological question, it's also a deeply personal question. Because every single person in this room has lost someone close to them. We have stood by the graveside of somebody that we have cherished, someone we have adored. And in those moments, we are asking those questions, where is the person now? What do we know about death? What have they experienced as they went from this life to the next? Some of that we don't know, some of that we do. Barna Research Group said an overwhelming majority of Americans continue to believe that there is life after death and that heaven and hell exist. But they also said that they're cutting past, that people are cutting past religious views. For, they're getting that from a variety of different sources, television, movies, conversations with their friends. In other words, a lot of what we know about or what we believe about Heaven, hell, the afterlife does not come from Scripture. It comes from popular views, from television, from movies, and the like. 
What we want to know is, what does the Bible actually say about this topic? What does Jesus, who actually experienced death, came back from the grave, what did he tell us about that as well? Now, I think one of the reasons we don't know a lot about heaven and hell is because a lot of times in churches, we don't teach a whole lot on it. John Calvin never dealt with the eternal state at any length. Theologian Reinhard Niebuhr, in his work, The Nature and Destiny of Man, said nothing about heaven. William Shedd's dogmatic theology contains 87 pages on eternal punishment and only two pages on heaven. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote a 900-page Great Doctrines of the Bible, and out of those 900 pages, only two pages were on heaven. Louis Burkhoff's Systematic Theology had 38 pages on creation, 40 on baptism and communion, two pages on hell, and one page on heaven. And yet the Apostle Paul wrote in Colossians, set your hearts on things above. In other words, that we ought to think about eternity. I remember as a kid that we used to sing songs about heaven quite often. That when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When the saints go marching in, Lord, I'm going to be in that number. And these songs kind of led and encouraged people to think about things of heaven. Today, we sing less about heaven. And so today, we're going to talk about it. And I want you to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you have your Bibles or your phone or what have you, and go ahead and, and check that out. And also, again, it's a good opportunity for you guys to take notes. And if you aren't prepared to do that today, I want to encourage you to do that during the rest of the series because there's going to be a lot of Scripture verses to think about. First of all, I want to think about what's happening now. Because 2 Corinthians chapter 5 doesn't just deal with what happens later. It deals with what happens right now. Today, you and I are living in a temporary home. Your body is a tent, the Bible says, that is a temporary dwelling. How many of you like camping? Raise your hand real high. How many of you would like to live in a tent? Raise your hand real high. Not very many. A tent is a nice place to visit, but you don't want to live there, right? And your body is a tent, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and we are burdened. In this body, it ages. This body is a tent. This body, at times, is uncomfortable. And how many of you know we love ibuprofen? Amen. We love ibuprofen. It's a good thing. And the older we get, the more that seems like, wow, that feels good. And... uh but, uh, but what happens is our body ages, we feel the aches and pains, and we are groaning. Anybody in here groaning these days from a body that's a tent? And that's a reminder that this is not your permanent dwelling. Your body will be recreated, which we're going to talk about next week at the second coming. But I remember when uh, my mamaw died in 1995. She died uh, a, a month apart from my grandfather. She died, and then he passed away. We were at her funeral in Kentucky, in Grayson, Kentucky, and we were standing there by the grave, uh, by the casket. I'll never forget my mom in that moment. This is her mother. She's touching her. She's cold. And she said to me right there, maybe to others standing around, she said, boy, what a reminder that she's no longer here. This is just her shell of her, of her body. 
it was clear that the, that the spirit that animated my grandmother was no longer there, all right? This is a temporary home. It's a tent, and it says that we are groaning in this tent. Now, secondly, as we are here today, we are living to please God. 2 Corinthians 5.9 says, well, we make it our goal to please Him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. In other words, no matter what, whether or not you are here or away from your body, your spirit is away from the body, the goal is to please the Lord. Well, we serve because we love the Lord. We are saved not by works, but to do good works because we're saved. Because God gave us salvation, we then work in a way that says, God, we love you and we want to serve you. We want to honor you. And uh, this is how we act and behave. So we are living in a temporary home, and we are living to please God. But what happens when you die? What happens when you die? Well, the first thing is, your body goes in the grave, but your spirit goes to be with the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 4 says, For while we were in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. In other words, you're called to another home, heaven. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now, it is God who made us for this very purpose and has given us a spirit, our spirit, his spirit, as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. When you die, your earthly tent goes into the grave or is cremated and your uh, spirit goes to be with the Lord. Now, this brings up the question, does the Bible say anything about cremation? I've been asked that before. Is it okay to be cremated? Well, the Bible doesn't talk about that. It doesn't say anything against cremation. You say, well, what about, um, what about when he resurrects the body? How's he going to put all those little particles back together? And what if, like, you're sprinkled over the ocean and, and, uh, and a whale eats it? How's he going to put that stuff back together? You know, all preachers have funny funeral stories, uh, but it can be a funny moment, trust me. But uh, we were at a graveside of a lady, Aunt So-and-So. I don't remember her name any longer, but uh, this was a few years back, and she was cremated. And so they had the funeral several days after her death. And, and uh, we get there to the graveside, and I'm prepared. I'm in my suit. I'm ready to give this great you know, talk about Aunt So-and-So, but I can't remember her name. And uh, we were there, and, and she's going to be, she was cremated, and so we're about to celebrate her and her life. And suddenly we all get there, I say, let's all come together, we're ready to go now. And the family looks around. They're all just laughing, having a good time, cutting up, talking about Aunt So-and-So. And we look around, we say, I say, well, where, where is Aunt So-and-So? And everybody goes, well, oh, oh, we forgot her, she's back on the kitchen table. I'm like, this lady was literally late for her own funeral. I mean, and so somebody drives home, and they pick her up, and they bring her over there. And, and when they get her there, she wanted to be buried in a cigar box. It was not a very big cigar box. They had her remains in a plastic bag that was mostly shoved into the cigar box and partially not shoved in the cigar box. It happened to be a particularly windy day. And somewhere in the middle of my discussion of Aunt So-and-So, the bag happened to come open. And now Aunt So-and-So is flying around the, the area. And I'm like, this is disastrous. Hurry up and get her in the, in the ground, man. This is crazy. But I was thinking in the moment, what is God going to do with this? How will he ever put Aunt So-and-So back together? Well, next week you're going to find out. 
because we're going to talk about the second coming of Christ and what happens to your body, all right? But the Bible doesn't say anything about that cremation. In fact, in fact, the Bible does say that you are ashes to ashes, dust to dust, which means if you're in the grave at any length of time, guess what's going to happen? You're going to be dust anyway, so it's not going to matter, all right? It's not going to matter. Now, what's the difference between the soul and the spirit when it comes to this topic? Well, the soul is used 883 times in Scripture, and usually it means the whole person, body, mind, and spirit. When it talks about soul, it's talking about every part of you, okay? Now, usually in the Scripture, when you talk about spirit, which is used 757 times in Scripture, it generally means the inner person, who you are, all right? Sort of that deposit that God, this is, this is actually you. This is the essence of you. You're, when you die, your spirit goes to be with the Lord. Off, there are several times, though, where in the Scripture, soul and spirit are used interchangeably. So it's a little bit difficult sometimes to know. Uh, you just have to look at the context to be able to discern what is he talking about. But our body goes to the grave. Our spirit goes to be with the Lord. When my father passed away, uh, one of the phrases we used very early on and then also at his funeral was that his very last breath on this earth was his very first breath with the Lord. The Bible says that when your spirit departs the body, Paul says you are at home with the Lord. Now, you are also immediately assigned to heaven, paradise, or hell, Hades. There is no record in the Bible of a holding place, kind of a cosmic waiting room. I'm glad about that because I don't like waiting for stuff, and it would be difficult to wait for many hundreds of years while God's preparing for other people and just waiting in a big, like, doctor waiting room, right? Jason went to the doctor yesterday, waited for two hours, right? I was thinking, man, I'm so glad we don't have to do this for eternity, right? In the Bible, there is immediate assignment. There is no record in the Bible of purgatory. No praying for departed souls. This is church tradition, not scripture. You could call this present heaven and present hell. You could also call it paradise or Hades. Paradise was that place where God's people dwell with him who await that final judgment at the second coming and that reward in the future heaven. We'll talk a little bit about that next week. And then also Hades is that place where people who do not follow Jesus experience that pain and suffering, and, and when they await that final judgment assignment to hell. Now, one of my Bible college professors is the first where I understood this idea of present heaven and present hell. They, he does call it paradise. When Jesus uh, died on the cross and he said to the thief on the cross, Luke chapter 23, verse 43, today you will be with me where? In paradise. We also know from the book of John that when Jesus talked to his disciples and said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, he said, I am going to prepare a place for you. So apparently there is both this preparation of kind of this final culmination in heaven, but there is also paradise. Regardless, you're either with God or not with God, either the blessing or the suffering. The Bible also talks about this idea of present hell or Hades. One of the places we see this is in a parable that Jesus taught in Luke 16. It's kind of lengthy, but I want to read it to you. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores. And, he, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table, even the dogs came and licked his sores. And all God's people said, 
yes. And then that time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. And the rich man was died and was buried in Hades where he was in torment. So where was his body? His body was in the grave. He died and was buried. In Hades when he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with, with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he's comforted here and you were in agony. And besides all this between us and you, there is a great chasm that has been fixed. So those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. Now, this is a parable of Jesus. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Some have debated, well, that must be figurative. But parables, even if they are in story form, always contain truth. And so there's truth in this story, and we can gather a lot of things through this. One thing we gather is that these individuals are recognizable. People say, are we going to be recognizable in heaven? I say, absolutely. Jesus was recognizable after he resurrected. Not only that, but these individuals were named. They were known. And I believe we're going to be known in heaven. We're going to be recognizable. Second thing we see is that Hades, this present, this present hell, does have suffering there. There is separation from God there. In fact, it says there is this great chasm that he could not cross. Not only that, we see that the individuals that were in Hades were not able to communicate back with those in this current world. And some people believe in things like spirits and ghosts, and they've communicated. And I don't happen to have that view, partly based on this scripture, that I think that there is not this ability to come back and to communicate. In fact, he wanted, he said, please go back and communicate. But there was a great chasm that could not be crossed. There is a lot in the scripture, but we learn a lot about happens when we die, when we read this. Lazarus and, 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 and this man who is a beggar had this opportunity to be with the Lord and to have his blessings in paradise. Now, when is your final judgment determined? Uh, when is your final judgment determined? We do not believe in a holding place. We do not believe in the ability in that holding place for you to be able to pray for people that have gone ahead so that therefore perhaps they might get another opportunity. No, the Bible says that we have this, this, this judgment when we died. It is given once for man to die, then the judgment, the Bible says. Now, there are two judgments in Scripture. One is a judgment of faith, and that happens upon your death. And the second one is the judgment of works. That happens at the second coming. Now, one place to see this is 1 Corinthians chapter 3, all right? I want you to look through this scripture because it's really important. I use this passage a lot when talking about this. 1 Corinthians 3 says, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one that was already laid, which is Jesus Christ. All right, what's the foundation? You have a relationship with Jesus. Jesus died. Jesus was buried. Jesus resurrected. That's the gospel. That's the foundation. That's salvation. And he says nobody else can do that. Only Jesus can save. But he says if any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, 
wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is. Now, let me pause there and just say he's not talking about material goods. He's talking about, figuratively, he's talking about the good things you do in your life. Do you love people? Do you serve people? Are you faithful to the Lord? All right? Do you demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit in your life? These are the kind of things he's talking about. That's the, the gold, silver, costly stones. Or wood, hay, or straw. His work will be shown for what it is because the day, and anytime you see big D day in Scripture, guess what that is? That's the second coming. Every time you see big D day, that's the second coming. The day will bring it to light. It'll be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of what? Each man's work. Okay, don't let me think I'm alone up here. If what he survives, Bill, Bill survives, he will receive a reward, his reward. If it is burned up, he'll suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Now, just leave that passage up there for a second. So here's what this is saying. That if you have received Christ, you have been saved, you have accepted that foundation, then that is good. That's the, that's, that is the most important. But then... After that, what are you building in your life? Is it good things? Are they things that really make a difference? Are you bringing good to other people? Are you loving God and loving people? Are you obeying Christ's commands? These are the good things. And he said that if you are building on it, you're going to receive a reward. Now, I don't know what that reward is. The Bible doesn't talk a lot about that reward. But if God's doling out rewards, how many of you know I want to be in the receiving line, right? I want to be on the receiving end of God's rewards, all right? And you should too. And so, but now he says, but if you're saved, down there last sentence, you'll be saved if your stuff is burned up, but only as one escaping to the flames. Now, quite frankly, I don't want to get singed when it comes to eternity. You know what I'm saying? I, I want to have that gift of God through salvation, but I also want to build on it. The book of Revelation also talks about this. It says there are three books that are opened at the second coming or at that final judgment. What are they? Number one is the book of life. The book of life is do you have your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Have you received that great gift of God through Christ, that salvation gift? But he also says the other two books deal with your works, the good things and the bad things that you did in your life. Now, how many of you know some of us just, just keep those books closed? You know what I'm saying? Just keep that closed. But it's, it's very scriptural, gang. That there will be an accounting of the things that we've done with our life. This is the reason we serve. This is the reason that we sacrifice. Is because God so loved us that we now love Him. The question is, have you received those gifts? Are, are you saved? Do you know that you're saved? Not everybody's going to go to heaven. John chapter 5, verse 12. Listen to these scriptures. I don't think I put them up on the screen. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. Matthew 7, 13, Jesus said, broad is the road that leads to destruction. In a room this size, that means if broad is the road that leads to destruction, there might be those in here who have never accepted that gift of God. And he says the narrow road is what leads to life. John 3, 18, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe in him is condemned already. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. John 14, 6, and I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father but through me. There's only one way. Have you ever come to the place in your life where you have recognized, God, I need you. I cannot earn my way to heaven. I cannot work my way to heaven. I can't do anything about that foundation. Only God provides salvation. Have I received him? Have I said yes to him? Have I accepted him as my Savior? Have I 
submitted to him in baptism? Have I confessed him as Lord of my life? Have I repented of my sins? I need you, God, as a savior of my life. Friends, I would say on this one, do not roll the dice when it comes to the foundation. You cannot work your way or earn your way to heaven. Have you chosen him? And if you have, what does the quality of your work in your life look like these days? Are you building good things in your life? Are you serving your fellow man? Are you loving God? Are you loving people? Are you a disciple of Jesus? Friends, over the next few weeks, we're going to learn about heaven. We're going to learn about eternity. We're going to keep our eyes on the shoreline. In 1952, Florence Chadwick stepped into the waters of the Pacific Ocean off of Catalina Islands. She was going to swim from the shore to the mainland of California. And she'd already been the first woman to swim the English Channel both ways. But that day, the the weather was foggy and the water was chilly. And she could hardly see the boats that were accompanying her. And she swam, though, for 15 hours. Finally, she begged to be taken out of the water along the way. And her mother, along in one of those boats, told her, you're so close, you can make it. But finally, she was physically and emotionally exhausted. She stopped swimming and was pulled out. And it wasn't until the boat the, that she was on the boat that the shoreline started to become in view. And it was less than half a mile away. At a news conference, she said, all I could see was the fog. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. That's not only a good principle for swimming in the ocean, it's a good principle for life. I know a lot of us get stuck thinking about the fog and the circumstances of life and the challenges of day-to-day living, and we forget to keep our eyes on the horizon. We forget to see what heaven looks like. We forget to see what the shore is and that it's not that far away. And I think if we would take our eyes and put them on the shoreline of heaven, we'd be a whole lot better off today in our day-to-day challenging circumstances. And so that's what we're going to look at. We're going to take a look at the shore for a while. We're going to see what happens when Jesus comes back. We're going to see about our glorified and changed body. We're going to learn about what heaven is like and what we're going to experience in heaven. We're going to talk a little bit about the suffering of hell. We're not going to soft sell that. We're just going to talk about the reality of what the Bible says. If we believe the Bible, we believe what it says about hell. And it is not a place we want to go. And then we're going to talk about Revelation. When we talk about Revelation, we're going to talk a lot about about the events of today. Why are tragedies happening? Why does it seem like storms are happening more and more and more? It may have less to do with global warming. It might have more to do with the plan of God. And we're going to learn that in week five. I want to encourage you guys to be here every uh, day for this series and to be taking notes. Because I think once you get your eyes on the prize, it'll make a difference in your day-to-day life. God, thank you today for loving us. Thank you for your scripture that teaches us. But God, I pray that it also would make an impact on us. That as we learn what we're going to be like in heaven and what heaven's going to be like, and we learn what happens when we die. God, I pray that it's not a fearful thing. It's, a, it's an encouraging thing. I pray that it encourages us in our day-to-day walk with you. And God, for those who have never accepted the great gift of God, I pray they would take advantage of moments like this where they begin to feel convicted inside, where they're The Holy Spirit begins to speak to them in a way that leads them and challenges them and says, I don't think you're ready. You've never made that decision. And if you have, you've walked a long way away from it. So God, I pray for moments like this 
that there would be conversations that would happen, that people would come and, and come up after, come up during the song and talk to me about it. They want to be prayed for. They want to be baptized. They want to say yes to Christ. God, we pray for that moment even now and pray for those, all of us, that would, that would take to heart the reality of heaven and hell. All roads don't lead there to heaven. Scripture is very clear. God, we want to be on that narrow road, and we want to take other people with us. We ask for this in your, your name, God. Amen.